Welcome to Animalia, a podcast all about making it easy and inclusive to learn about this big, beautiful planet, the life we share it with, and how to protect it. This is the five-minute, give or take a couple minutes, summary of our episode on parasites. Now, we're pretty confident we can turn you into a parasite evangelist if you listen to the full episode. We're going to do our best in this abbreviated version to do the same. And as always, if you listen and are interested in learning more, please check out the full thing. So, parasites. We don't exactly have a fond perception of parasites, and rightfully so. Tapeworms, ticks, and COVID are all parasitic organisms that can quite literally kill us. However, so can cars and other humans. So, parasites can absolutely be dangerous, but that only tells a fraction of their story. Many parasites across the world have a fairly neutral relationship with their hosts. But they can have a very positive impact on their local ecological systems, which is where things get really interesting. Take the yellow rattle, a plant parasite that gives life to wildflowers and so much more. As our guest this week, renowned parasitologist Mackenzie Kwok explains. Within uh, ecosystems, there's especially, say, grassland ecosystems, there's a lot of competition because everybody's competing for light. It's this huge uh, community of different species all reaching for the light and trying to crowd each other out to get to light, essentially, and nutrients to some extent as well. And so you have these hyper-competitive grasses, which are sort of the backbone of of grasslands, of course. Um, But there's lots of other herbs and forbs and things like that that want to be growing up in these ecosystems, things like our wildflowers. Um, But when there's lots of hyper-competitive grasses, typically your floral diversity or certainly your your diversity of other wildflowers, what we would call wildflowers, certainly grasses flower as well, but other wildflowers declines, decreases, because you have these hyper-competitive grasses which are crowding them out. Yellow rattle, however, is a little plant parasite. It's a hemiparasite. So it actually produces green leaves and it photosynthesizes, but it also hooks its root system into the root systems of these hyper-competitive grasses and it steals nutrients from them. So it's essentially a vampire of the wildflower meadow. And so as it steals nutrients from these grasses, it weakens them. And when the grasses are weakened, it allows the wildflowers to grow up. And so you have this, when yellow rattle is present, you have this great diversity of wonderful different wildflowers growing up in your meadow. And so then that of course brings in pollinators and you have a great diversity of different flies and beetles and butterflies and bees all descending on these otherwise quite boring grasslands that have been transformed by this parasite into these wonderful wildflower meadows. The vampire of the grasslands has kind of a nice ring to it. Okay, but what about the cringy tapeworm? Surely we can do without them, right? People have been studying the impacts of tapeworms on heavy metals. And tapeworms essentially sit in your gut and they don't actually steal uh, any of your uh, nutrients inside your body exactly. So they're not stealing your blood like hookworms. Um, Instead, they are stealing the food that you would otherwise absorb. So you've gone to all this effort of digesting a burger or something, and it's going down through your intestines. Before your body can absorb it, the tapeworm is hanging out in there and it's absorbing nutrients through its flat, long sort of pasta-like body. Um, In these ecosystems though, uh, there's lots of heavy metals, these these salt marsh kind of ecosystems in the Southern US. There's, There's things like cadmium and zinc, which are nasty if they build up into very high concentrations. And so the species at the higher end of the, of the trophic sort of chain that the food pyramid uh, or the food chain, these things like uh, hawks and uh, big predatory birds 
are particularly uh, endangered by this because as they're eating lots of things, there's this bioaccumulation of heavy metals in their bodies. When the tapeworms are present though, the tapeworms seem to uh, bioaccumulate heavy metals without having any major impacts on the tapeworm. The tapeworm can uh, concentrate, for instance, some heavy metals 2000 times, at 2000 times the background concentration that you find in the ecosystem. And the tapeworm just chuffs along perfectly happily, chugging along, absorbing things in the gut and holding on to these very, very nasty heavy metals, which would otherwise be very, very dangerous for some of these host species. And so in some studies, they found that actually there's 50% of the heavy metals in the entire ecosystem are locked up in tapeworms in the guts of birds. So these tapeworms inadvertently, just through a fluke of their biology and the fact that they, they are basically the ultimate absorbers of ecosystems within ecosystems, that because they've spent millions and millions and millions of years perfecting this ability, we find tapeworms, evidence of tapeworms going back hundreds of millions of years. So they've been doing it a long time. They've been very good at their craft. And so these guys absorb all these heavy metals. And so they're locking them away. So these higher trophic level birds aren't suffering heavy metal poisoning. The ecosystem doesn't have as high a concentration necessarily um, of heavy metals. So it's a, it's a really good impact that these tapeworms are having. And it's inadvertent. The tapeworm is not getting necessarily a benefit from this, but the birds and the wider ecosystem are seeing real benefits from these nasty heavy metals being locked up. And that's not all. Parasites may also hold the keys to unlocking a new wave of protection for us against viruses and bacteria. Parasites as well as that hold all these benefits for human, humanity itself. So parasites have spent millennia modulating and manipulating the immune system and the nervous system of hosts. And so they have, parasites are basically just big drug chests. You just need to start looking at what kind of proteins they're making. And, and people are increasingly so uh, studies have been coming out of the last couple of years of looking at the salivary proteins of ticks. Ticks, obviously, uh, hard ticks, stay on the host for two to three days, sometimes more, feeding, imbibing blood. Um, and in that, that time, the immune system is attacking them constantly, constantly. So the uh, ticks have to be obviously defending themselves, and they're doing it with biochemical warfare, essentially. And so they're producing all sorts of interesting proteins. And some people have been now finding, some researchers, been finding that actually they have some proteins which are immunosuppressants. So they actually downregulate the immune system. And so if you've got someone, say, that's just had an organ transplant and you want to downregulate the immune system so that it doesn't attack the new liver or the new heart or the new lungs, you can start to use this. Or if you've got people that you can start to think about drugs like this or compounds like this, proteins like this, for attacking or for treating those kind of situations so that people don't reject organ transplants. Or if someone has autoimmune issues where the body is basically going trigger happy and attacking itself, if you just tell it to calm down a little bit and you do that by giving it proteins like this or, or compounds like this. So they're these great treasure chests. So people say, oh, well, I don't like parasites, doesn't matter. But they are absolutely critical if we're for the next century, at least, if we're going to try and find a huge number of drugs to try and treat the ills of the developed world, which is basically allergy and autoimmune diseases. So parasites are a bit more dynamic than you might have thought coming in. What's important now is that we work to conserve them. They are the glue that keeps the food web churning in a way. We all claim to love biodiversity and we want to leave our kids with the same biodiversity that we inherited. But many of us only want to save species based on how cute they are or the radiance of their blooms or how much affection we feel towards them. And if we do that, we very, our ecosystems very quickly degenerate into gardens. 
and they're not functional. We have a lot of pandas and we have a lot of orchids, but we don't have the intricacy and the interactions that we, we need in functioning ecosystems. So we may as well just have zoos if that is the conservation outlook we wanna take. We really need to be having a very holistic view towards ecosystems and we protect all of the diversity of species. We don't have a species, we don't exhibit, we don't try and forward this species chauvinism of, oh, I'm only gonna save vertebrates because I like vertebrates, or I'm only gonna save flowering plants because conifers and mosses are too boring, ferns are, ferns are rubbish. Anything. We need to save all species and we need to protect the intricacy of the interactions between them. In the full episode, Mackenzie walks us through the 12 steps for parasite conservation. Please go and check that full episode out when you get a chance. And thanks for checking out our short summary version as always. And thank you for standing up for this big, beautiful planet and all the life on it.